thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 245 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Have you ever looked at somebody doing something amazing and thought to yourself, I could never do that? Well, today we want to examine that and challenge that idea and challenge that thought and just ask, what if you opened up the door and just thought, what if I could? What would that lead to? This is the Real Life Runners podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. All right, so before we get started, we just wanted to remind you guys of our newest training, our newest free training, the five-day running reset. It is open. It is live. It is ready for you to enroll and to start getting some benefits for. So if you've ever felt like you could use the easy button or the reset button for your running and you just want to start looking at your training a little differently, maybe you want to start examining it to see how can I run easier and get better results? This running reset is exactly what you've been looking for. It is five days to help you start changing the way that you think about your running and changing how you train so that you can do exactly that. You can run easier and get better results. So check it out over at realliferunners.com forward slash reset and sign up today. Excellent. Now on to the episode. All right. So we're talking about the whole idea of I could never. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense coming off the Olympics. It makes a lot of sense being like sitting next to you. Like for (laughs) me, like this is where my running journey started. Like I looked at Kevin. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could never do that until I saw him run his first, first half marathon. It wasn't even, it wasn't you running the half marathon. It was everybody else that was running the half marathon that actually made me think like, huh, what if I could do this? It changes perspective. Yeah. Like you didn't think necessarily you'd be trucking along next to me, but you right. thought I could be part of this group mm-hmm. accomplishing the thing. It, it, but we all kind of fall into this thing. I, I look at the Olympics or you know things that hit my social media. I follow a couple like elite or professional athletes, and they're like, "Oh man, it was a it was a bad day in the half marathon. I dropped a 108." Like you did what on a bad day? It's it's nuts. The things that that come out there, but you know, when the standards are so high, then bad days kind of blow away my PRs. Yeah. I mean, well, and that's what happens to a lot of high level athletes, right? When we look at Olympic level athletes or these elite or professional runners, we think that they're on a different level than us. And in some ways that's true, right? In some ways, that there is that natural ability that they have, but there is so much more that goes into their success. And that's really what we want to kind of dive into today because it is true, right? A lot of high-level athletes do have some sort of genetic ability, right? Some sort of natural born ability. Right. But it's a whole lot easier to say that the thing that makes me not be able to do that is because they're a genetic freak. They're an anomaly. They're so far out of the bell curve that quite literally I could never. Mm -hmm. And kind of question that idea of, are you sure that they're that far out of the bell curve? Are they just that far out of the bell curve in terms of like work ethic also? Mm-hmm. Like, it, cause that also plays a huge role. Yeah. Sure. You're going to have to have some sort of natural ability to it. But once you have some, it then really relies on how much you want to sort of build out that ability to take it to an elite level, I think. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Because like you say, like, It is, there is definitely a component of natural ability in there, but so much of it, you know, the difference between 
those people that have the natural ability and then those people that go on to do amazing athletic things or really anything in life, right? Like yeah. you can show amazing ability in like the tech world, right? Like with now, especially now with like STEM or coding or these kinds of things. So really what's the difference between the people that are showing that natural ability versus the people that actually end up going on for success? Because, you know, there's always those kids. There's always those kids that you see at those at the early ages that are showing like the natural talent. And maybe it's, you know, in swimming, maybe it's in running. You don't usually see it as early in running because you don't usually specialize in running at an early age as much as like other sports. It depends on your community. Maybe you've got like a track meet that happens. Like there was by me, I never ran in it, but there was like a local all comers track meet that Mm -hmm. happened all summer long. And so there were kids that would show up starting at very young ages Mm -hmm. and they'd run like the hundred. And then maybe when they were a year older, they do the hundred, the 200 and the 400. Like it was like the, the young age group kind of track meets. Mm -hmm. It just kind of opens yourself to the interest in that. But the first time that I thought I had any talent in running was not at all from running. Yeah, I mean, our kids used to do those little kids races and, yep. and track meets and stuff. I mean, I guess not really track meets, but... No, they do the, like, kids dash of yeah, 5Ks. Yeah, and I think that a lot of the, you know, when you're, especially when at a young age, a lot of times parents will sign their kids up for that just for fun, right? Yep. Just to make them be active, have them participate in that kind of thing. But then the question is, like, when do you start to go all in, right? Like we, you know, a classic example, I think, of someone that started at a very early age is Tiger Woods. Sure, that's where I thought you were going. Yeah, like he started very early on and just decided, you know, that he was just going to pursue golf. And who knows if how much of that was him or his parents. He decided or Earl (laughs) decided. Right, right. Well, and, you know, that's opening up a whole nother can of worms of like, you know, parenting and and parental pressure and those kinds of things, right? But... How do you know if it's the right sport? Like if you're four or five years old and you're picking up a golf club or you're picking up a tennis racket or whatever it is, how much of that is natural ability versus you're starting so young and just conditioning that person in that sport starting from such an early age that, you know, how much of that is natural ability versus how much of that is developed from a very early age? Well, I mean, I think that beyond just the physical talent, the mental talent in Mm -hmm. there the mental confidence Mm -hmm. like if we took our kid we did not run this experiment in the way that we parent but if we took our kid from like the age of three and told her every single day when she woke up you're going to be an olympic gymnast yeah just told her this is what's going to happen you're an olympic gymnast and then we signed her up for all the gymnastic stuff and she was in the gym day upon day and she knew, oh, well, no, obviously I go to the gym. My parents told me I'm going to be an Olympic gymnast. Mm-hmm. Like if you just keep telling people that from like the age of three, that's what they're going to do. Their mind just naturally agrees with that. There's mm-hmm. less resistance to it because... Well, it's mental conditioning. Right. Which you can decide whether that's that's favorable or not. <laughs> but at some point, that kid may may resist and push back against it. And this is where I it's think... probably when they turn 12. Somewhere in that ballpark, <laughs> quite possibly. Can you tell we have a 12-year-old right now? <laughs> But I think that part of this whole idea of going all in at such a young age, it's to me, it's sort of like playing sports roulette. Okay. Like, did you guess correctly on where the kid's natural ability best lied? Mm-hmm. Like, LeBron James, phenomenal basketball player. What if he decided at a younger age, football was my thing? Yeah. What if he went all in on football? I don't think he would have been the game changer on the football field as he would have in basketball. Why? 
Yeah, but we don't know that. Right, but uh, right because there is <clears throat> there are just people with that natural inherent athletic ability, right? Right, and they're the people that are just naturally athletic, and it's whatever they choose to be good at. That's where their heart, their desire, their you know hours and hours of practice are going to go into. They're going to naturally develop that ability. Right. So then you get this combination of the two things about like, well, based off of how he grew and how his size and shape developed, people are like, well, he'd be an amazing basketball player. He'd be great on a football field, mm -hmm. but he wouldn't necessarily be, he'd be like a phenomenal defensive end probably. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting, or like a phenomenal tight end, which might not be like the game changer that he is in, in basketball, just I based mean, off of size and shape. Yeah, I mean, who knows though, right? But they, part of the issue too is like when you start something so young, how many of those kids get totally burnt out and don't, Lots. right, and don't make it to that level, right? Because there's a huge part of that is when you get so serious, and this is where a lot of my training as a physical therapist comes in. You know, I see a lot of kids, especially with the way that sports are now, they start to specialize in a given sport at a very young age. Yep. And so, you know, as a PT, I see it in the clinic. I see kids coming in with repetitive overuse injuries at like 10, 12, 13, you know, injuries that shouldn't show up, quote unquote, shouldn't, shouldn't show up, right? Until like much later in their careers, but they're throwing so many pitches or they're doing so many repetitions of whatever sport it is that they end up with these injuries at such young ages and they end up getting, you know, their bodies like literally can't take the level of training that they're doing. Yeah, you've got like the 12 year old that has Tommy John surgery because right. he's been throwing curveballs since he was seven yeah. so that he could perfect the curveball. Like there was a reason, and this has been around for years. This has been around since I was playing baseball and I stopped playing baseball as early as there were cuts at high school and I <laughs> should stop playing baseball. Um, but there was still like in the little league that I played in, you were not allowed to throw a curveball until you reached a certain age right. because it does a thing to your arm. Like mm -hmm. it puts a different stress on the elbow to the way that you, you throw the ball. Right. And now kids are like, well, okay, so in that league, we can't throw the curveball. But when you work with your private pitching coach, mm -hmm. we're going to work on that. So as soon as you can legally throw it, yours is going to be amazing. Right. But now you've got repetitive use injury from something you're not even legally allowed to do. Right. And then you ha also have to ask yourself, like, how much fun are those kids having, too? Right. You know, like, isn't the point of sports and activities, especially as a kid, to be fun? Like, when you are putting so much pressure on a kid to become the next professional athlete yep. in whatever sport it is how much fun are they actually having kind of i think depends a lot on the kid it depends on yeah depends on the parent depends mm -hmm. on the sport but keeping it fun is huge and big example that came out of the winter olympics was what's her name Lindsay jacob ellis okay snowboarder she does snow cross. Mm -hmm. Just watching the things in the Olympics, snow cross looks amazing. It's not one of the cool big air things mm -hmm. where she's up doing like 17 billion tricks in the air, but it just looks awesome. So you're on a snowboard with like three other competitors and you race down the course. She got into it because she had I like, like that one, right? It's super mm -hmm. fun to watch. She got into it because she had a couple older brothers and she liked chasing them down the mountains. Like that's how she got into it. Yeah. So she is generally regarded as one of the best snowboarders, snow cross athletes in the world. When she first started competing internationally, she won the silver in her first Olympics. Mm -hmm. She should have won the gold. She was leading by like 
a huge stretch and over like one of the last jumps, which wasn't like a tough turn and jump. It was just a little thing. She grabbed the board as sort of like style points. There's no style points in cross. It's literally just two crosses the line first, but she like did like a tail grab on it and fell on the landing and second place shot right past her. She was so far in front that she was able to get up and still take silver, but she lost and they interviewed her afterwards and she was like, yeah, I don't know. I, and she kind of like came up with an excuse and then, composed herself because she's 20 at the time she composed herself she goes yeah i was out there having fun and so i did a trick off the last one and i fell <laughs> and they're like well would you do it again she goes yeah probably i was in front i thought it was fun like and so she was able to come back she won worlds like umpteen times but that was 2006 mm-hmm. when she was 20 that she got the silver and should have had a gold she comes back in 2010 and falls and doesn't medal. She comes back in 2014 and falls and doesn't medal. She just keeps coming back to the Olympics. I think she missed one because she fell on something and hurt herself, but she just kept falling and never meddling. So it's like, what is keeping her going? And what was keeping her going was not, I have to get an Olympic medal. It's that she was having a blast out there. Mm -hmm. Like she was just having so much fun. The last Olympics, 2022, as one of the older Olympians out there still doing snowboarding. She wins individual gold. And then in the first time that they had like the co-ed relay thing, Mm -hmm. she wins gold in that one also. Yeah. With the guy from the U.S. who's like 40 with like a whole family at home. The two of them won it. I love it. They just looked like they were having a blast out there. That's what provided career longevity. It wasn't this drive for I have to be the best. She'd proven with umpteen world championships Mm -hmm. that she was the best, but she was still having a blast out there. And going over the last jump, I think she still grabbed her board because it's fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's like the same thing as like Kira Diamato, who just set the, you know, um, American record. Yeah. The, the American record in the marathon. Yep. And she also, you know, ran in college, had a, a career in college, and then retired, like stopped running because she was so burnt out because of all the pressure that was on her. Decided to get back into it later in life as a mom with a full-time job as a real-life runner and then ended up like being like, oh, yeah, I really love this. Yep. And then that love and that desire to have that fun again is what pushed her to start pushing herself harder, right? And start reaching for more. Yeah, it wasn't until she was able to run and compete, well, to train at that high level while maintaining fun mm-hmm. that she actually started reaching the super high levels of success, yeah. American record levels of success. Right. Now she is hands down the fastest realtor in the country. <laughs> yes, the fastest realtor. I like it. But like, you know, this is what you see. is like you see so many of these young prodigies or these people that have early, you know, years of, you know, are exhibiting talent in their early years, just totally flame out because of the levels of training that they're putting themselves under. Yeah. Physical training that they're putting each other themselves under and the mental stress of if you lose the fun and you're at that young age and all that you have is I have to win, that gets really stressful, Mm -hmm. like really stressful. That's tough for people beyond like the age of 12 to try and go into a race and know I've got this talent. There's this pressure that I should try and win. But try and now think about that while you're currently dealing with like adolescence. 
Like, oh, I need to be the best athlete in the entire world and pull down an Olympic gold medal. And I'm also curious if that boy thinks I'm cute. Like, that's in Sam trying to picture our daughter trying to, like, also deal with, like, Olympic caliber training pressure. Mm -hmm. I think her head would explode. Yeah, I mean, it is pretty crazy, you know. And this is what we see a lot in the high school cross-country world. You know, we we coach a high school cross-country team, and there's a lot of coaches that we – run against that have their athletes running very high mileage at a very young age. Like, you know, we, uh, you coach at a smaller school. So in this, the smaller schools, there's a rule down here in Florida where the middle schoolers, like if they have um, middle school and high school on the same campus, yep. that middle schoolers can run and they can compete on the high school level. And yep. the reason they made this rule is because they said that, you know, smaller schools are at a disadvantage with the number of people that they have and blah 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 and so people can start running kids in sixth grade when they are our daughter's age 11 12 years old competing at a high school level and some of the coaches around here will start these kids in middle school running crazy high mileage in our opinion in our opinion in our opinion you know, because we tend to run people with lower mileage because you have to weigh the risk versus the reward. And these girls that are going through puberty at this age, even when they're into high school, you know, Mm -hmm. even when we get them in high school, they're still going through puberty. Their bodies are still developing. We talk about it all the time. You know, the girl that comes in as a freshman versus the girl that graduates as a senior, most of the time her body is totally different between freshman year and senior year, right? And the development that's happening, if you're putting too much mileage on these kids and and, um, depending on the level of training load that you're applying, like the risk and the reward, you have to weigh that out, right? Because it's so easy to burn these kids out. And I remember there was a girl, um, probably like a decade ago at this point in time, you know, when we were um, coaching our state champion and like the person that was running against her was phenomenal won like three state titles and then went on to college and did nothing because she was injured basically from the the day she stepped onto her college campus yes 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 i remember remember who i'm talking about yes i know who you're talking about who then took some time off recovered from injury i believe recovered from i don't know if it was ever officially diagnosed eating disorder but certainly disordered eating and has been able to come back and actually be a healthy runner and find the fun and enjoyment in it again well that's good i'm glad to hear that like that's that part that's the key aspect is you eventually have to get back to a point where you're running because running is healthy for Mm -hmm. you not you're running because you have to win at all costs right Right. So what does all this have to do with this idea of I could never that we really started this episode with? Okay. So you've got these athletes that if you see that little bit of talent, you're like, okay, well, if they had this natural talent and they started training all in at the age of five, that's why they got to the Olympic level. Okay. Like that's why they got to best in the world at what they do. Mm -hmm. So clearly I could never because one, I don't have that natural talent and I didn't start training when I was three. Yeah. So yeah, I started, I started running when I was 30. Sure. Yeah. So clearly 40, all, all bets are off. Can't yeah. possibly hit that thing. Yeah. Except you can't because you get 
stories of people who did not have that crazy talent when they mm. first started getting into things or they got into running later in life like there are in the the age group world records of like the 50 to 60 age or the 60 to 70 age groups mm -hmm. these are often well, runners how about the 80 to 90 age groups i mean those people started running when they were like 70 exactly <laughs> <laughs> what's his name George Whitlock maybe I should retire for a little bit and retire and then come back make a 70. comeback <laughs> I'll take a 30 year hiatus with the the hurricane the woman who set her first yes. she set her first world record at the age of 101 that's like, awesome that was her first world record and not even close to her last right. you know, she just keeps knocking out world records she's but awesome. like she didn't get into running for a long time right like she was substantially older when she got into it so you know world records are still in there possibly um, but there's a lot of examples of athletes that didn't show that immediate, wow, that person is going to be unbelievable kind of star power when they first got into it. So I'm thinking like running example, Nick Simmons, mm -hmm. he went, he's from like Idaho, I'm pretty sure. And went to like a small D3 college yeah, and then became like an 800 meter world champion. Right. Like he had the talent and multiple Olympics a multiple Olympic champion. He had the talent. He probably could have stretched his, like where he went for college and stretched that out a little bit. But given what he did in high school, it made more sense to go to the smaller D three. He just excelled so much at that level that that talent was able to be slowly developed. I don't know what he would have done if he had more thrown at him on the high school level. Could he have done more or would he have never reached that level? Because right. essentially he's like the, the prototypical example of so many current American marathoners that were like D2, D3 athletes mm -hmm. who were good, but they never had so much pressure on them. So they never had all of the training dumped upon them because they had to excel right now right then yeah they were able to slowly develop that talent mm -hmm. and let it bloom which is phenomenal yeah i mean same thing with des linden right i mean des linden typically she was quote unquote a later bloomer as well yeah and she I, was not super strong in college and then came out into the marathon scene right des was great in college but when she got when she graduated she got picked up by hansen's um, which is why most people, when they picture Des in their head, they picture that like yellow and red checker yeah. top. Um, so she got picked up by Hanson's and they quickly told her, you're great in the 10,000, but you're going to be an, Amer an American marathoner. Mm -hmm. Like that's going to be your thing. And she graduated college in 05. So work in the Olympic psyche, you're like, okay, great. I graduated in 05. I'll make the 2008 Olympic team. They're like, we're aiming for 2012, mm -hmm. which immediately takes the pressure off of we have to get your mileage from collegiate in cross country in college you're looking at women running 8k and in the track she was running a 10k so you're working from somewhere between like four and six mile races yeah and now suddenly you got to race 26 well and it also like i just love that timeline too seven years like yep. we're working with seven years like just try to wrap your head around that like because yep. i feel like so many times we as real life runners like we want the thing and we want it right now you yep. know it's like we decide that we're gonna train for a, and run a marathon and we just start looking at the calendar and seeing when the next one is right you know like we don't allow ourselves maybe i'll stretch myself all the way to the fall yeah you know what i mean like it's it's like we we make that decision that we want to run a marathon and it's like okay well how soon can i do it yes it's like that is so much of the mindset that so many runners have especially recreational runners because like 
we are in this culture of immediate gratification. We want the thing and we want it now. And we also want all the things. So we want to be able to run faster and longer yep. and not have injuries and also not sacrifice the rest of our life in the process. Yes. Plus, plus I'd like to raise the family. We're going to have another kid and I'm going for a promotion at work. Right. Like, like all of the things. But yet Des Linden, the professional elite runner who that was her job yep. was to be a runner had a seven-year timeline when she first signed on with her her first coach. Right, which gave her this cushion that she didn't have to be the greatest in the world by yeah. year three. And the funny part is, because she had the seven-year timeline, when year three came around and she had the Olympic trials, what she got 13th in the trials, mm -hmm. but then she ran Chicago, a world major, and finished fifth in 2008 mm -hmm. like she was at that level yeah. because she didn't have to be at mm -hmm. that level and then she just keeps grinding away and grinding away she graduated college in 05 and a lot of people recognize des as winning boston when it was like a hail yeah. snowstorm that was what 2018 mm -hmm. so we're looking 12 years post college 13 years post college with this yeah like that was the timeline that created the success. And she had a lot of second place finishes. That mm -hmm. was always does is the runner up. She had the one tragic Boston one that she lost by three seconds Ooh. that she likes to joke where it was a 26 mile run. And then it was a 26 mile casual run. And then the two of us decided to just sprint down the street and see who'd finish first. Yeah. <laughs> Like whenever I watch a marathon and see that at the end, and it happens more than you even realize, yes. right? Like, especially, you know, on the elite level, it's just like, it's crazy to me. Like exactly what you said, like, let's run ridiculously fast for 26 miles. And then it's just who can sprint it out the fastest at well, the end. She argues that she screwed that race up because she let it be too comfortable of a pace yeah. throughout the whole thing. Well, so then it came down to a sprint between the yeah, two There's of them. always that hindsight. But, right. But what is comfortable when you're running at that level? Right. Exactly. Uh, there's Boston on the men's side a couple of years ago that it was just a three-way sprint to the finish. L ludicrous. Wasn't that just last year? Uh, there was There was one that we watched last year. Was it New York? New, New York, York and Boston both also. had some good fit sprints to the finish. Yeah. There have been a lot of good sprints to the finish in some world majors lately. Oh, cause, yeah, because Boston was delayed. Like, they ran Boston in, like, October or something last year. Yeah, all of the marathons yeah. were, like, week to week to week to week. Yeah, it was great. It was nuts. And Shalane did all of them. I know. She's amazing. <laughs> she's amazing. All right, so how does this connect? Yeah. So we have so we have those natural people with natural ability that we like to just write off. Yeah, and then we have because <laughs> it's these... <laughs> easier than saying oh. Right. And then we have other people without that natural ability or that have some natural ability yep. that we're just kind of like late bloomers. And then we kind of look at ourselves. So like that's really what we want to dive into a little bit deeper here. Is like what do we think about ourselves? Because when we see people doing amazing things, even when they're quote unquote normal people. Like even if we we go to examples outside of running, like I sure. do this a lot with like building a business, right? Because I'm in this world of business and entrepreneurship and, and these kinds of things. And I see these people that have businesses that have these, you know, successful businesses and families and all these other things. And it's funny because I sometimes think of them as a, again, above, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, that's not a helpful thought, no. but like they, were and so many of them tell their story and they were just like me right because there's so many of those like this is where I used to be and now I'm here and yep. this is the process that got me here right these success stories that we hear but it's so funny because 
we don't see that process a lot of times. We see the finished result, right? Yep. We see the elite runner. We see the person with the six-figure, seven-figure business. overnight success, yeah. 15 years in the making. Exactly, <laughs> right? And so it's so easy for us to like look at that quote-unquote overnight success, yep. right? And say like, oh, well, I could never do that. Mm-hmm. Like that, that person just got lucky. Or that person... Oh, that person just got lucky. That's something I didn't even highlight. Clearly, they got there through luck. Luck, or that person just had a natural ability, or that person person has connections that I don't have. Oh, the connections, right? that's always a there's, good one. There's so many like excuses that we can come up with in our head, and that is our brain's way of protecting us. Yeah, it allows us to play it safe. If you say that the only reason that person had such unbelievable results is supernatural genetic talent. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, I don't have it. Or they've got connections that I don't have. If if you put it as things that you can't control of yourself, Mm -hmm. then you don't have to try and possibly not succeed at mm-hmm. super, super high goals. Because the only reason that people ever succeed at super high goals, your brain has convinced you, is because they have something that happened to be bestowed upon them. Right. They were blessed with this. Or they have more time than we do. Oh, sure. Always right? more time. Or they ha- they don't have a family like we have. There's all these different things. And our brains, again, are just trying to protect us. There's nothing wrong with us when this happens. You know, like that's the thing I think... It's like when when you hear about this, when you're like, oh, like there's all these excuses. Like I think another natural inclination for us is to like feel guilty about it, right? Or feel shameful about it. Like, well, if they can do it, then what is that saying about me? And it's not saying anything about you. It's just saying that our brains, the way that we're wired, our brains are wired to protect us. And when we are shooting for big goals, that is those, you know, by their nature and definition, big goals are outside of our comfort zone, right? They're That's what makes them big. Right. They're challenging <laughs> us to rise and to, you know, do things differently and see, you know, try to push our limits. And that's scary for our brain. Our brains do not like that at all. So our subconscious mind naturally starts to think of all of the reasons why we should not do that thing. Yep. Like, and it makes sense, right? Because these are all very logical things. Like, I don't have enough time. I have family commitments. I have job commitments. I have all of these other things going on in my life. So therefore, I should not do that thing, right? I could never do that. Yeah, not even I should not. I could not do that thing. That thing is impossible because of X, Y, and Z. And it sounds so incredibly logical because all of the excuses make perfect sense. Like, oh, well, if I had six hours a day to train and and get massages, Mm -hmm. then, then I would have a chance at it. But, but you don't. So you've got to try and figure out what can you do within your world, or you can actually just change that. You'd be like, okay, well, what if I had six hours in the day to train? Okay, create that time. Mm -hmm. Like if that's your priority, if you want to see how far you could push it given that time commitment to training, create that time commitment to training. You're like, well, I'd have to quit my job and then we'd have to move out of this house and all these things. Like, okay, how committed are you to that? Yeah. Because you get a whole lot of Olympians living in apartments. Yeah, and you could do that, right? Like you could move into an RV or, you know, you could move in with a friend or family member. Like... All of those things are possibilities. And, and our brain, again, wants to say, well, don't be ridiculous. You know, it's not <laughs> worth that. And that's totally cool. If, if you can literally say to yourself, it's not worth that, then maybe it means that that goal isn't worth it to you, that you don't value that goal to that level. 
And which is fine. Which is totally <laughs> fine. And it's also something that I think is very freeing. Like once you realize that, like then you can stop feeling guilty about why you're not chasing after that thing. Like if you actually look at whatever this goal, you know, the goal might be and say like, okay, this is what I think it would take for me to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the level of commitment and dedication. I would have to do X, Y, and Z. And then you ask yourself, am I willing to do X, Y, and Z? And if the answer is no, then that means that that goal isn't worth it to you and that's totally okay. Right, so it's the difference, like everybody has life commitments, but the question is where are your life priorities? And sometimes they don't necessarily match up with each other and that prevents you from being able to achieve whatever goal you might be thinking. If you kind of logically lay out the amount of time and effort it's going to take to reach a goal and you're not willing to put that in, then that goal is not as important as things that you're putting higher on it on the priority list. Right. And that's that's awesome. That's illuminating. Yeah. But don't blame the like genetic freak that they were able to get the goal because, you know, they were they were dipped in the the gods dipped them in the water. I'm thinking Achilles where he was held and <laughs> dipped into the water and that's how he became, you know, superhuman. Um <laughs> That that's not what that's not why his Achilles know, was because you have to. Sorry, it's a it's an audio podcast. I, I am sitting here dipping. Well, we are actually recording this video. I'm not sure if we're going to release it or not. It's the first time that we're recording the video. We're going to check it out later, and maybe we'll release it so you guys can see us recording the podcast. Sure. If if we not, if not, I am visually dipping Achilles <laughs> down into the river so that he's you know superhuman. Anyway, all right. So, but. It's not necessarily the genetic freak. No matter how crazy the athlete was, if you picture them as like a one-year-old trying to walk for the first time, I guarantee they did not look super graceful. Yeah. So if you visually think about that with any athlete out there, you're like, at some point in time, they were stumbling around the room trying to figure out how do I walk without falling over. Except Usain Bolt. I think Usain Bolt came out of the womb like this. Came out came yes. out with the lightning post? With the lightning post. Yeah, sure. Just sprinted out. Um, <laughs> he probably showed super early talent in soccer more than anything, though. Well, that's what he's doing now. That's what he's doing now. Yeah. Well, um, that's because he likes it. Because that's where the fun lies. Yeah. He never had a huge amount of fun when doing track. No, he just knew he was ridiculously good at it. Right. Yeah. All right, so if you kind of picture that every superstar athlete at some point in time was not a superstar athlete. Mm -hmm. There was some point in their athletic career, their athletic journey where they were getting started out and they weren't getting incredible success day upon day. Yeah. Well, and even if they had a lot of incredible successes, there are always those down periods and there are always the failures along the way. Like any person that is super successful has tons of failures that they overcame and didn't let stop them and they learned from and they kept going and they've got those times where the improvements don't seem to be coming as fast but they have the the determination the self-confidence to continue pushing forward even when they can't see the massive growth Mm -hmm. so we can all as normal humans tap into this like you want to see how fast you can be go out and run down the road, down a path, down some flat thing for a minute, okay? And say, all right, I start here, I'm going to run for a minute. Set a timer on a watch, set a timer on a phone, just run really hard for a minute. And then consistently train for like a week or two. 
and do it again. Mm-hmm. I bet you go farther. Yeah. I mean, you could do it on a hill too. You can do it on anything you yeah. want. If Just as like long as you can for like repeat the same, <laughs> I'm going to run really hard for a minute. Yeah. Don't do it for something crazy long. Just go for a minute and then do it again like a week to 10 days later. You're probably going to go farther. The thing is that if you went like, I don't know, let's just for a number, let's say you went 200 yards and then you come back two weeks later and you went 201 yards. Most would be like, ah, I worked out for two straight weeks. I got an extra this. Like there's, there's so little improvement on that. And that's where I think the elite best in the world people show up is they see that as a sign of improvement and they're like, oh, well, if I keep doing that little tiny improvement week upon week upon week upon week, then I can actually get this massive improvement. Whereas most people look at that, they're like, oh, tiny improvement. I guess this isn't really for me. Yeah. And it's also the, you know, elites are also looking for that 1% edge, that 1% mm-hmm. advancement. And I think that this is where we as real life runners get into a lot of trouble when we are also looking for those 1% little improvements, right? Like the carbon plated shoes or these things that are going to make that little extra performance benefit, but we're missing the low hanging fruit over (laughs) here that would make a 20% improvement, right? Like getting more sleep, making sure that we're hydrated, like these lifestyle habits, running a consistent amount of mileage, running a consistent mileage, strength training multiple times per week, Focusing on getting enough protein and carbohydrates to fuel our workouts. Both right? before like, and after. Right. Like <laughs> these kind and well, but, and again, going back to that 1%, so many runners are, cons- are so concerned about what do I eat during the run? Yes. Right? But they're ignoring what they're eating before, after, and the rest of the week. Or the rest of the week. Right? Of like the it's day. just like, what do I eat in my long run? Right. Yes. And it's like, should I eat this goo or this goo? Like it doesn't really matter. <laughs> they're all processed sugar. Right. Put some sugar into Put your some body. Put sugar in your body, right? Like we were just talking yesterday about, you know, before all of these different um, goos and gels and all the things that they have now, sports nutrition, people used to open a Coke. And put it in the fridge overnight and then drink flat Coke in the morning as their fuel for running because it had, it was, the sugar is so dense, like the density of sugar and versus water in there is so high. That would be the fuel that people would use, right? So it doesn't have to be our, now, is that the best training option? Who knows? But like what I'm saying is, you know, focus on the things that are going to move the needle bigger versus that little 1%. And then to your point, right? Be happy with the 1% improvement also, yep. right? And and know that if you make 1% improvement every week or every two weeks, how much is that going to add up to over time, right? Let's just say you make a 1% improvement every two weeks. That's 26% improvement over the course of the year. That didn't compound interest. I know, but it, I'm just trying to do simple math. I know, but your improvement, instead of being it's 26, actually like way better than it's that. substantially better yeah, than that. Because it's compounding Because compounding interest. And this is what I think separates a lot of people who have put in the commitment year upon year upon year, mm-hmm. where you're seeing these athletes, like Sarah Hall, in the same race, you mentioned American record in the marathon. She right. set the American record in the half. Yeah. At 40 years old, 39 years old? How I think old she's 38. She's 38. I think Kara 
Sarah was 37 and Sarah was 38. At 38 years old with kids and family and mm-hmm. all this, she's been running forever. And don't get me wrong, she also has that like genetic gift. Mm-hmm. Like she was a superstar in high school and college. But then you take that and continue to put the work in year upon year upon year. Yeah. And poof, you've got you've got an American record, right? And it's it didn't just fall on her lap. You could even see the frustration on her side because it. I mean, it didn't fall on her husband's lap either. But he got an American record at a far younger age than she did. Mm-hmm. Now they both have the American half marathon record, which is so cool that it was at the same course too. <laughs> it's, it's nutty. So cool, <laughs> but like you know. All this to also say, like, you know, not everyone needs to run a half marathon, a marathon, an ultra marathon, like all of these other things, right? Like we, we want to talk about like, I could never do that, right? A lot of people look at half marathons, marathons, like these crazy distances, you know, quote unquote unquote crazy, crazy. right? Like, cause really nothing's crazy. If you really train for it, I mean, we could argue that point. That should Um, be our next podcast. Sure. What is crazy? That's a good one. That would be a good one. That's a fun rabbit hole to dive down. But like, you know, there are these distances, right? That whatever it might be for you, depending on where you are in your running journey, you might think, oh, like I could never run a marathon or I could never run an ultra marathon or I could never do this, but you don't have to right? Like you don't have to do any of these things. It doesn't like just to call yourself a runner. You don't have to run a half marathon. You don't have to run a marathon. Like a lot of people have this idea in their head that, well, I have to be able to do this thing in order to call myself a runner. Right. And so then they've, they're like, I have to do that thing. I have to cross that magic finish line. And then I get, then I get the official title. I Mm -hmm. think they send it to you in the mail. There's like a a pin says official runner runner. Yeah. Except then they, they don't get the magic pin in the mail because you know, there isn't one and they're like, Oh, obviously I just didn't run that race fast enough. So now I not only have to cross the finish line to be a runner, I have to cross it fast enough and then I can call myself a real runner. Mm -hmm. And you don't. You don't have to cross any finish line to be a runner. You want to go out and run? Congrats. You're a runner. Exactly. Because, like, what would it be like instead of, like, telling yourself I could never do that or, like, putting these people that run these distances up on a pedestal? Instead of doing that, what if you just, like, said to yourself, like, hmm, what if I could do something more? What would it take, right? Just being open to the possibility of doing something more, whatever that looks like for you, yep. right? So if right now you're running 5K, what if you tried to run a 6K Yeah. or a 7K? I like that you didn't immediately go up to the next common race distance of 10. You right. just said, what if you just ran more than a 5K? Yeah, like if your current <clears throat> loop is 30 minutes, what if you just run, went out and ran 35, mm-hmm. right? Like it's just about opening yourself up to that possibility. And if you have no interest in that, Again, cool, (laughs) right? Like you don't have to run further. You don't have to run faster. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. What we want you guys to think about is this idea of I could never because the answer is, of course you could if you actually wanted to. If you wanted to. If you actually opened yourself up to that possibility of something more and then just ask yourself, well, what would that take, right? What sacrifices would be required of that? So, you know, in this simple example, if you normally run a 5K before work, maybe it's going to require you to wake up 10 minutes earlier. Yep. Right? That would be the sacrifice for now, is waking up 10 minutes earlier so that you could add 10 minutes onto your run or five minutes onto your run, right? Or taking a shorter shower, you know, or <laughs> packing your lunch, lunch the night, the night before, before. Mm-hmm. right? Like there's a lot of different ways. Like, you know, if you get 
yourself ready the night before so that when you get home from your run, you're like, boom, 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 then you could still set your alarm at the same time, right? So what sacrifices would be required for you to achieve that goal? And are those things that you might want to experiment with? Yeah. So when you go into that whole experimentation, when you see like, what would it take? What sacrifices would it take? I mean, you can look at them as sacrifices. When you see that, everything kind of gets dealt with from like a negative side, but literally just what would it take? Like, these are the steps that I think that I would need to follow in order to try and aspire towards this big goal. Don't blow the goal off just because it sounds really big, but actually think about it calmly, rationally, and say, I think that I would need to do this, this, and this in order to give it a shot to get to the goal, and then still calmly and rationally decide whether those are things that you are interested in doing. Yeah. Well, I think that the word sacrifice has some sort of, you know, negative connotation to it, but it doesn't have to. Right. Like, it's just, that's the connotation that we put on it. Like, what if we see sacrifice as a good thing, right? That sacrificing certain things are going to allow us to achieve goals. Like, we always think of like, oh, I'm restricting or I'm saying no to this thing. But instead of looking at it that way, look look at it as if you are saying yes to the thing that's more important to you. Right. Do you want to give us like a real life example for yourself? Because you kind of have a pretty big goal that you're chasing right now of things that I'm saying no to so that I can say yes to yeah like sacrifices of what would it take right like you know your Kevin is chasing a hundred mile race like that is his current goal right now right which is a huge goal which is sort of a separate topic that it's the the one that kind of comes up to me right now which is maybe something else that we should just dive into on a whole nother podcast is it's the first goal I've put out there that I'm not sure if I can actually make it to the finish line yeah like there's been other ones that are like I don't know if I can get there that fast yeah Uh, this time I don't know if I can get there Mm -hmm. but the sacrifices involved like one of the biggest things that I've had to do is completely overhaul the way that I eat Mm -hmm. a complete overhaul in the way that I eat so that I wake up and immediately just start putting food into myself yeah like I pregame breakfast with a little pre-breakfast snack while making breakfast. I have a snack while making breakfast. Mm-hmm. Like, really? Like that's that's yeah. what I have to do? And that's the answer is yes, that's what I have to do. Right. I, in order to make sure that enough calories are going into me, I have to make sure that I have a snack before I eat breakfast. It, it, I feel like it shouldn't be called breakfast anymore since it doesn't break the fast. My snack did, but anyway, I have a snack and then you I eat again. You can call it whatever you want. I call it, so call your snack breakfast. I call it Big Meal 1. And, and then, then I have and then second breakfast. Then big Meal 2 and second breakfast. Yeah. I feel like a hobbit. Yes. I don't think they First know about breakfast. second breakfast. <laughs> um, but so like the sacrifice is completely changing the way that I eat. Like to the way that I don't like to eat so that I'm so full that I'm uncomfortable. But as long as I don't have another run coming that day, that's the level that I need to eat to. Yeah. Like if, if I eat dinner, my next run is not until I wake up the next morning. I got plenty of time to digest that. So I have to eat to somewhat uncomfortable to make sure that I'm getting in enough calories. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm full. But I know that after that, I can't just have like a little thing for dessert. I'm going to have to have like a solid late night snack mm-hmm. because I need to make sure that I get in enough calories. Right. And it's, 
it's not as fun as it sounds to just continuously (laughs) eat whatever you want to eat. Which is funny because so many people like there's that, you know, saying of like, I, I run to eat, right? Like I run so that I can eat whatever I want Uh or as much as I want. But when you're doing it very consciously for a goal, it It loses some of its joy. Yeah. Well, does it? I mean, because that's an interesting topic to dive into too. Like the, the goal is really what you're chasing and this is going to allow you to do that thing. Right. But this is like in, in marathon training, there are workouts within, I mean, honestly, any training cycle, there are workouts within the cycle that are not necessarily your favorite thing. The eating portion of my training plan is not necessarily my favorite aspect of the training plan. Yeah. I would rather go off on like a, you know, 10 mile steady state than have like yet another meal thrown into my day. (laughs) And that alone sets you apart from most Americans. This is also true. Maybe that's my genetic freakdom. <laughs> there you go. I'd rather run than eat. Um, but yeah, you know, ultimately you have to kind of just take a step back and kind of ask yourself, like, what am I capable of? Because the truth is you are capable of so much more than you think you are. All of us are, right? Because again, our brains want to protect us. Our brains want to keep us safe. So our brains give us all of the excuses, all of the reasons why we're not capable of that thing or why we shouldn't chase down that dream. But we have to then consciously decide with intention, right? That even though this sounds really, really big, I want to try for it, right? I want to go after it anyway. After you like really think about it, like carefully consider the thing, right? Don't just disregard it because it sounds so big. Oh, carefully that's consider That's the I could it. never. Yeah, right. That The I could never is just disregarding, right? Like I could never just, doesn't even put excuses on it in my, like a lot of the times. Oh, I but could it never. does. It, it's just they're on an unconscious level. Right. You just assume that there are excuses built in. If you right. stop and really think about why you're saying to yourself, I could never, then you can probably pretty easily come up with a bunch of excuses. Totally. But for the most part, when you see crazy accomplishments other people do, a lot of people have the immediate responses, eh, I could never do that, mm-hmm. without even thinking about what they're saying. It right. just pops right out of their mouth. Well, because that's how our brain's wired. Right. Again, right? Like, it's these automations that we, you know, and this is one of the things I think is so important for us to start doing is really considering these things and being more intentional with our lives. Instead of saying, I could never, right? Flip that. Change the language. When you like catch yourself saying that or thinking that flip the language to I choose not to right yep and see how that feels Mm -hmm. right because our brain wants to just disregard it and it's like I can never do that and it's like I choose not to do that see how that feels if it feels like like kind of icky then again maybe that's a signal that you should kind of investigate it a little further right like well maybe I could right And, and if the answer is no then don't, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do that thing. That's I the, choose not to do that thing. I have no desire I choose to not that. to. Go me. Right. Like, that's well, possible. And people ask me all the time, like, when are you going to run a marathon? And I was like, or why haven't you run a marathon yet? You know, I choose like, not to. Disclaimer, I have not yet run a full marathon, right? And a lot of people, I, I had a lot of, you know, my own ideas about that. Like, to be a running coach, having never run a, a full marathon, right? But... Right now in my life, I choose not to do that, right? Because I just, where I am in my life with our business and with our kids and with our family and all the other priorities that I have in my life, 
it's just, it doesn't feel like the right time for me. Mm-hmm. I'm choosing not to do that. I don't have that desire. Like sometimes I'll like, it'll kind of creep in when I see my friends like running that higher mileage. I'm like, oh, I wonder if I could do that. Like, so it's creeping, it's, it's creep crept in before. And then I'll, I'll go out and like run 10 miles and I'll be like, yeah, no, I don't want to go more than this. No, 13 seems sufficient. <laughs> that sounds good to me, you know, but like, I think that that's the really important thing is like actually being intentional and making this decision, you know, of whether or not you're actually going to choose to do it. And if the answer is no, that's totally fine. But don't like, I want you guys to just kind of stop throwing out that I could never do that, you know, and stop just like blowing it off before you even think about it. Yeah. So you, you have choices, you have the choice of, I choose not to do that. And the alternative to, I choose not to is I'm going to give it my best shot. It's not, eh, I guess I'll try. Maybe maybe we'll see what happens to it. It's I will give my best shot to this mm-hmm. thing. Like it, it still comes in it with uh, with an openness, mm-hmm. with a I'm really going to give it. Not like, I mean, I guess I'll half-heartedly, like this is I'm going to cannonball into the pool, not I'm going to put like my big toe in the water and check and see what the temperature is. Yeah. Like this is I've decided I'm going in the pool now and I'm jumping versus I've decided I'm not going in the pool now. I'm going to sit over here. There's no halfway on this. You have to make a choice on whether it, and it's not the, Oh, I could never, I'm not one of those people that goes into pools. Like you decide I'm, I'm going in or I'm not and take ownership of that decision rather than this idea of, "Ah, I could never do that crazy (laughs) thing. Mm -hmm. Decide if that's a thing that interests you or if it's not, it puts a whole lot more power back into you if you decide yes or no. Yeah. And that's really the, the most important part is taking back the power in our own lives, you know, like exactly, you know, just one, one step further to your point of like, I'll try versus I will, right? Like when you say I'll try, you give yourself an automatic out. Like you give yourself that automatic thing of like, well, I'll, I'll try, you know, I'll, I'll I'll give it a shot. I'll I'll, try unless. Right. So, so you give yourself an automatic out because part of you believes that you're maybe not capable of that thing. Sure. Right. And so then if you kind of try and you give it like 50% effort and you don't, you're not, you know, you don't achieve the thing, Mm -hmm. then you're like, well, see, I didn't think I could do it anyway. Like it gives yourself the automatic built in excuse versus I'm going all in and I might not get this thing. Yep. Right. And so we essentially disappoint ourselves ahead of time. So just starting to flip that language of how you speak to yourself of, you know, I'll try or I'll give it a shot versus I'm going to do this. I will do this thing. Right. Mm -hmm. I will give it my best. I will commit to this. I will dedicate myself to this goal, whatever that takes. Right. That's a different place to be in that I'm going to give it a try. Right. And when you're in that place of, I will, you're in a much more powerful place of actually being able to achieve that thing. Right. So you, you go in, you go big, like I'm going to do this. I'm going to go as, as best as I possibly can at this. And it also, I think it allows you to have more fun with it Mm -hmm. because you know, Maybe you don't succeed at whatever that crazy big goal is, but by actually really pushing for it, you get to enjoy the process more. And like I said, maybe like, you know, breakfast number three might not be the most enjoyable process. Maybe for (laughs) you, like the, the tempo run is not the most enjoyable process. Maybe you don't like the strength training, but the overall process, the overall striving and chasing after that huge goal and blowing off the whole, I could never do that thing. Like, no, no, no. Watch me give it my best shot. 
that just, it sounds fun. It sounds filled with life and excitement. Yeah. And I mean, if we can get to that place, then there's nothing you can't do. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's what we've got for you guys today. So we would really encourage you to start taking that. I could never out of your vocabulary and start replacing it with, you know, more empowering language. Like I choose to, or I choose not to, or I will, you know, depending on what it is you're talking about. So as always guys, if you found this episode helpful, please share it with a friend. Um, take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, tag us in it so that I can come say thank you to you. And if you have any questions, please also reach out on Instagram. We are at Real Life Runners on Instagram. If you have any questions related to your running, to your training, shoot me a DM. I'm happy to help you out. Um, I would love for you to be able to feel you know, more in control of your running, be more intentional with how you're training um, so that you can have more success and also have a lot more joy in the process. So you can find us at on Instagram, at Real Life Runners. Um, and like we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, we also have our free five-day running reset. So if you want to learn how to run easier and get better results, head over to the website, realliferunners.com forward slash reset and get yourself signed up for that free five-day running reset. Okay? So... As always, thank you for spending this time with us. This has been the Real Life Runners Podcast, episode number 245. Now get out there and run your life.